Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching line, mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. Christ on all, you're listening to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast, sponsored, as you all know by now, by the Fat Boar. Uh, a drab nil-nil versus Wheelstone then. Uh, let's do positives and negatives together. So one from each of you, please. Tim, first, positive and negative. Uh, positive, clean sheet. Uh, negative, far too many boos at the end for my liking. I was told to get over it before, but I'm not going to. Fair enough. Liam, what's your positive and negative? Uh, the only positive I could really draw from yesterday was the fact that when Dan Jarvis came on, we at least linked up play a bit between defence and up front. You know, there's some, actually someone willing to drop deep and come for the ball. I wouldn't say it was, you know, the perfect cameo, but he at least tried to make things happen. Um, on the negative side, I thought the fullbacks didn't come into the game often enough. Reese Hall Johnson really wasn't himself yesterday didn't really try and take on their players. And on the left, Hosanna got hooked for Cam Green. He did all right at tucking sense, but he was getting shouted out a lot by Leighton for his defensive work. Andy and I didn't manage to make the game, but uh, Andy, you know, headline positives and negatives. Um, positives, Leighton back, I suppose, seven points out of nine. So, yeah, if you look at it in just start features. Right, negatives. Um so I, I sent a tweet at Kings Lynn last, last weekend, which is saying that we, we're not controlling this game in any way and we could be in trouble here. Now, I got pelters at full time because we won 6-2. So that's fair enough. But my point still stands. I think at the moment, we're in a position where we need to nick a goal and we, we can only nick a goal from a set play or a long throw. If we nick a goal, we're fine because the opposition come out and we can pick them off. But if we don't and we have to break a team down, as shown by yesterday, we do not have the quality in, in specific areas, mostly midfield, to do it. And that's my negative. Scriptwriters are back, Andy, are they? Superb. I'm my own <laughs> scriptwriter, mate. I'm, my, I'm a one-man band. Yeah, indeed. I'm not sure how much insight I can provide um, from not being there, obviously. Um, again, I'd have to, you know, agree with Tim uh, that a clean sheet, um, you know, is never bad. Shame, obviously, mentioned last week on the podcast that we'd managed to score in every game. It was only us in Liverpool that had done that. Quite typical then that we failed to score. So that record's gone. Um, negative, you know, the reports are the play was pretty... Uh, directionless and poor and that's not good at home in front of eight and a half nine thousand people uh, the product's got to improve at home really um, but still hopeful that the results will return uh, we'll do predictions later on in the podcast and we'll also have the return of shitey heroes but first of all we've had a really great chat with a proper Wrexham stalwart from a bit further back than we usually have had um, guests on recently. I'll let Tim do the introducing in this segment now. Well, 
Right, so this week on the podcast, we are sending you all back to the late 80s, taking you into the 90s for our next guest. Uh, he played for the Reds between July 1998 and July 1992. I believe he was signed for around five grand by Dixie McNeil, unless he puts us in the picture otherwise. Made 150 appearances, including one standout game in particular, which we'll come to a bit later. So welcome to the podcast, former defender turned chiropodist, Andy Thackeray. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. No problems. Nice to be here. I hope that uh, introduction did you justice. Uh, I just thought, you know, let's, let's get it in there. Let, let's let's throw throw it into the mix. 150 appearances, four seasons. Yeah. We'll come to the obvious game in it in, in a bit. We'll come to okay. that a bit later on. But just take me back to how the how the move to Wrexham came about, um, and what your initial thought process was behind it when when you when you heard. Where were you at, at the time? Yeah, I went to Newport County. I was at Huddersfield Town. Um, I'd just got in the team at Huddersfield Town, who were then a, a, a championship as it is now, Division 2 at the time. Probably fourth, fifth from bottom. Um, did OK in the reserves there. And just got in the team playing right wing. Uh, played under Mick Buxton at Huddersfield Town. Uh, drew two games. My league debut was 2-2 away at Hull. And we drew 1-1 at home to Sheffield United. And then that I think that left us fourth from bottom and Mick Buxton, the then manager, um, was got, got the sack and they put an interim manager in charge who unfortunately felt that um, relegation couldn't be avoided playing young kids. And I, obviously I just got in the team. So he pulled me, he said, you'll be in and around the squad, but um, obviously I'm going to go with more experienced players, which I understood. But the sort of impetuousness of youth and uh, I wanted to play. I'd, I'd played two games. It was my hometown club. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, you have a crowd there. And then all of a sudden, um, he told me, you're not going to get many more, much more game time. So it came to deadline day that year and Newport County came in on loan. Thought, I didn't know much about Newport at the time. Met the manager. They'd come down, play some football. Uh, and we'll see how it goes. So I went down, and when you're playing and you're playing in front of crowds, it's totally different to playing. You know all the Pontins leagues, the development football that you play. So I signed for them, but within a couple of weeks, unfortunately, I realised I made a, a poor decision because the club was on its uppers. I didn't know that at the time. Obviously, I, 18 didn't really have much much experience of football. Our football club was run, but it became apparent that. The club was struggling and they signed two or three players like myself, one from Portsmouth and myself from Huddersfield. And we had a decent run and I enjoyed it. Um, and I stayed there for a season and a half until Dixie came in for me. I think I played against Wrexham in the Welsh Cup. Uh, I played quite well in a two-legged game. I think I scored in one game. I think Newport beat Wrexham in the, over the tie. Um, and before I knew it, uh, Dixie, I think, had made a small offer for me. Newport had no money. We're really, really struggling, and um, so luckily, I got a, I got a move from from a, a club with a lot of tradition in Newport County. But I got a club to a, a move to a club with a much more tradition, obviously. Um, and uh, when you walk, when I came up there, obviously you walk out into the ground, don't you? And I, I think for for any player, lower league players as well, it was just I want to I want to play, you know. So no hesitation in signing for Dixie then at the time. And obviously, um, Dixie as a as a former player and, and, and what he achieved in the game was that was that a bit a bit of a pull as well for you to get that tap into that experience? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you, I'd, I'd seen lots of the history about you know all the 
the European games and obviously being at Newport in the, with the, you've got this about the Welsh Cup, haven't you? You know, and you used to see Wrexham doing well in the Welsh Cup. So it was probably a draw as well was to come further north because I couldn't get much further south than Newport, could I? And, um, and I came further north and I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to play football. And, and I think at the time, um, Wrexham was struggling a little bit, maybe a bit like Newport County, but I think a lot of clubs were at the time. A lot of clubs are, aren't they now still? So, but... I think um, just got wanting to, just wanting to play football and play full seasons and hopefully have a have a manager who believed in you. Who are you? Who was the, who was the main competition for your your position at the time? Was was there a couple of you in for that particular? Well, position? I came in, in in obviously I came in as a midfielder, didn't I? So there was you had Jeff Hunter there, didn't you? you had John Borden, um, so they were probably your two central midfielders. Um, and, but the squad was filled full of really experienced players as well. None of the younger lads came through. So you had you had Mike Carter, John Bowden, Jeff Hunter, Ollie Kearns. Um, you had young, yeah, younger Mike Williams at the back. So the team was spring, uh, obviously forgetting about Steve Buxton, Neil Salafiel, all these players who were very, very experienced. And, and I came in and obviously I was part of a, a, a few younger ones who came into the squad at the time. So... Um, it's always good to have experience around, isn't it? And and I think just just learning off these boys and the experiences that they give, because they were they were they were journeymen, weren't they? They were they they travelled around the leagues. They had they had ways to play, and they taught you the little things that uh, that you need to know. Was that something Dixie was was consciously trying to change, trying to lower that average age of the, of the club? Because obviously we we it's known about about Flynn and, and obviously. We'll, we'll yeah. get to the Arsenal game and the, the vast mix of youth with the experience. Yeah. Was that something Dixie was consciously trying to change at the time or, or not? I don't think Dixie was. I mean, Dixie was just so passionate, wasn't he, about the club. Um, I think Dixie didn't do a lot of coaching, I'll be honest. I think he did. You know, he enjoyed that. He enjoyed the feel of the lads around him, didn't he? You know, he enjoyed that banter with the lads. Um, but I think at the time, I think it was just a general... The, the older players were coming to the end and he moved people out and new younger players came in. So I, I think it, I think it was just sort of a, an evolution, not a revolution type thing. You know, I think it just had to happen, didn't it? And I think, and I don't think the club had a lot of money, so it's probably easier to pay younger players. You know, you had your Kevin Russell, didn't you, coming in then and, as well. So you're getting good, hungry, probably hungry players than your more experienced players. So as I say, it probably just evolved rather than, you know, than anything else. Just take us to that first first season. Was, is there any particular standout games for you in in, the, in that first season where you think, you know what, I remember that one, or there was something that really sort of catches your imagination? No, I think. I mean, I'm not. A, I don't. I'm not a great. Well, I don't. I don't look back in every on everything. You know, I, I, I just. I just enjoyed my career. I enjoyed. I mean, I was. I was, I was never the quickest footballer, which unfortunately I think I had all the ability um, and I made myself the fittest player wherever I was at any club, purely and simply because that, that got me by then, you know. So um, I understood that if I could make myself fitter, it sort of made up for a little bit of pace. But as you know now, you watch even the conference game, the, the, the National League games, pace is a killer. Pace just... And, and the game evolved, didn't it? Because it was a time when Arsene Wenger started bringing... Um, footballers in who were quick and strong and couldn't run up and down all game, but pace then became a necessary evil. Um, so naturally, I didn't have it, 
So all I had to do was then try and make myself better. So being in that squad, I had to be fitter than anybody else to to impress any manager to to get in the team, you know. So I think I had a lot of ability. I didn't know I was a good passer of the ball. Uh, I understood the game, but as I say, I think I knew sort of twenty twenty one. I could always earn a living, but whether you actually got that opportunity to go and play higher probably was just out of my reach. Did you ever get that opportunity or no? Nothing, nothing ever came uh, I think at the time, when I went to Newport, actually, I had a run, I played middle of midfield and I had a run of probably seven, eight, nine games when I first got there. And I think I scored five or six goals from midfield. Um, and there was odd games where people talked about people watching you. But you hear these stories all the time, don't you? You know, you, you're a young lad or so-and-so might be watching you, this team are watching you. So, you know, as I say, you just you just try and do your best don't you? And, and, and leave not... Uh, what I did try and do was, was leave nothing off the pitch it was all on the pitch you know and that was my that was my 90 minutes every game can we talk about the um i think it was the 88 89 season andy where i know you talked about dixie bringing experience in but he seemed to have a good blend i mean you got to the playoff final there it was uh, a late in orient um yeah i mean how close was that game for people who don't remember i know it was over two legs but how how close did you get close yeah i think there was only probably three or four chances in the game I think Ollie Kearns had a bit of a chance. I got, I got, I think I was substituted into the second half. I think Dixie was going for the game, you know, going to try and get an equaliser there. Um, again, it was a boiling update. I remember we, we played them at home and we played really well. And I think my other right, it's a, this is really weird. I can remember we were on the pitch and it was a boiling hot day at the race course and all their players, I think, had. Um, coconut smelling sun cream on or something and there's all these and you're like hang on a minute what's going on here and they all they all smell fantastic with this coconut sun cream we were like in a playoff game you know but that's just that's a weird memory isn't it but uh and then i also remember they had alan comfort who was a left winger who i don't know whether you know now he'd played lots and lots of football for orient and he was uh, and now i think he's turned into a i think he's a is he a reverend or is something in the church and and you again, you look back on players, and he was an excellent player. You look back on players you played against, and you think, you know, he was a professional footballer, and now he's a, you know, a church, you know, a reverend. So, um, and he smelled lovely. He did, obviously. Yeah, I can remember it. Yeah, so I, I hope I got close enough to him to smell it. Anyway, but I, I obviously did. <laughs> I mean, after that, I mean, Wrexham came close. You just missed out. I mean, did it? Yeah. Did it? Did it turn a little bit sour for Dixie after that? Did he? I mean, I think he left quite quite soon after. Really, Could yeah. You but see that was, not really. But was that not the club in general? There was a lot of turmoil again in the boardroom, wasn't there at the time? And I think because Dixie had this reputation, you know, of, of what he'd done for the club, I think things always seem to turn a little bit nasty for people who are related to the club with a you know that have got a passion for the club and I think it's easy to hear the the bad things and the criticism for people so I think Dixie just got it because he was Dixie as opposed to you know had it been a, a manager who just came in to do his job unfortunately um unfortunately Dixie just I think it just run its course for Dixie didn't it and obviously you had you had Flynn around the time uh, you know around at the time yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, I think what you're trying to say there is maybe Dixie was maybe just a bit too much of a big character for, for the boardroom to really control, maybe. Um, I, yeah, I think that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a big character. Um, I think I've, no, I've told is. a bit of a story before there. 
he's a great man. You know, he's a great man, and he's, he's you know, every time I talk to him, he's got a passion for people. You know, that's that's the difference. There's a passion for football. There's a passion for people in there, and uh, and Dixie's got a passion for people. I think, which is which is good. As we're on the subject of Dixie, Andy, you told me yeah. a story early in the week about Dixie. Yeah. I don't know if you can recall it. If you'd like to regale that tale about uh, oh. a loss, and you came back in on the Sunday, I thought it was a good story. Yeah, I mean, obviously football. Football at the time, you gave everything you've got and you'd be, you know, you just thought um, you get a bad result and PT teams that you'd get on the coach, you'd have a couple of cans, wouldn't you? You'd go home. It was all really, it sounds sounds a bit old-fashioned, doesn't it? But you'd get a crate of beer, you'd sit on the coach, you'd have a couple of drinks. Um, and this, but the home game we played, I think we lost 2-1. Um, I can't remember, but I think it was 2-1. And Dixie came in after the game and said, you're all in tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock in the dressing rooms. So all the lads look around the dressing room, don't they? Oh, what, what's going on here? It's Sunday. We have Sundays off. So at the time, I came back to Huddersfield that night. I remember driving back in on this Sunday morning, sat in the dressing room, 10 to 10, gets to gets to half past 10. There's all the lads, what's happening? What, you know, what's what? Something must be serious. Gets to 10 to, gets to half past 11, gets to 12 o'clock. Suddenly Dixie comes in. Right, you can all f off. You wasted two hours of my time yesterday. I've just wasted two hours of yours now. Get yourselves home. <laughs> and uh, you're like, I mean, it, it's the sort of thing that happened then, and it probably wouldn't happen now because people don't treat people like that, do they? You know, there's all these ways of treating people and not upsetting people. But at the time, at the time, you're thinking, why did he do that? But now looking back on it. You can fully understand that because you know it's 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 his job. It's his you know it's his livelihood. He's got to get the best out of us, and he felt at that at that given moment we'd wasted you know two hours of his time on a Saturday afternoon. So yeah, he uh, he was strong, Dixie, really strong, and I and I really liked him, and um, and 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 I think he was fair as well. He told you exactly what he thought about you and what he expected in the team. Um, so, yeah, really good, really good block. Can you remember if that, that little stun had the desired effect? Did you win the next next game? Oh, I can't remember. I can remember driving home thinking, what's going on here, you know? Um, but no, <laughs> as a, I think, because um, I, I, I mean, obviously I was relatively young still, wasn't I? So, although you had all these experienced players in and around the squad and you can go through all, all I sit back sometimes and I think about the wrecks and, of was and I think when you think you played with Joey Jones, Mickey Thomas, Kevin, um, Brian Flynn, um, Peter Barnes came, didn't it? Peter Barnes played in one of the seasons. Alan Kennedy came in one of the seasons, and these are like you know fantastic footballers who've played all the careers at brilliant clubs, and you forget that they were they came and played a part in Wrexham's you know history. And obviously, I I was lucky enough to play with some of these players, so. Um, it's nice to to talk and chat and think about you know what what these players did and and I played with them you know brilliant. I think we might be coming to one of the segments. We do a few segments in this podcast, uh, Andy. And I okay. actually wanted what I wanted to say before before we do that was I wanted to apologise to you because one of the segments is called Mighty Heroes. Obviously, it's based on 
the anthem and uh, okay. we sort of nominate our players and um, they're players that we've seen in the flesh play live and we pick a team and we've already done that a few months ago and okay. uh, you were nominated and we really offended quite a lot of our listenership <laughs> okay. so I just wanted to extend I just read out some of the comments we have can't believe Andy Thackeray doesn't get a mention we had Thackeray for me solid consistency so yeah. uh, my defence on this is that yeah. uh, I was uh, born uh, as you left Wrexham. So sorry to make you all feel old. We are actually some of the UK's youngest podcasters, apparently. But Andy and Tim, <laughs> I'm not sure if they've got you the You just scene. don't look it. Is that the problem? <laughs> yeah, my hairline doesn't look it, does it? I, know. <laughs> I don't know what Andy and Tim's defence is, but... Um, <laughs> ooh, I was watching Wrexham at that time, but not. I didn't go every yeah. week. Yeah. So... <laughs> I was probably still too young to remember what was going on in front of me. But anyway. <laughs> the aforementioned segment Reese is referring to, we do this sort of fearless moment where we ask everybody who comes on the pod if, if there's a specific standout moment or a stand, whether it's a standout game, a standout incident, anything that relates to your time at the club. I know we're going to touch on the most obvious thing, which may be spring to mind that you might choose. However, I don't want to put words in your mouth as well. I'm assuming you would have played in some of those European nights. Lingby, perhaps? I, I, I don't no, know. No, I didn't know. Obviously, I was classed as an Englishman, a foreigner, wasn't I? I was oh, a foreign no. player. So we, I think we could only play two non, non-Welsh players at the yeah. time, couldn't we? So um, I think Gary, Gary Worthington and Nigel Bowman Oh, Max Atori and Nigel Bowman played at Lingbury. I never played in the home leg either. And then I think I played in the home leg against Man United. Nice. So I never played in the away leg. So I was lucky enough to play in one of the games. Um, so, But as a highlight, um, are you asking me now for the highlight? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I, I remember, I mean, I, I think I spoke to you before, Tim. I remember the West Ham away game yeah. more than I remember the Arsenal game at home, the, the fourth round of the Cup. And... I remember when um, when we scored the first goal and I ran and obviously the, the the players were right at the front of the crowd and I I think it was Wayne Philippe, I can't remember whose back I jumped on, jumped on someone's back and somebody else jumped to, to jump on my back and need me in the thigh and gave me a dead leg. <laughs> and I remember thinking, and I, and I got, and whoever's back, I jumped back and, and I'm thinking, shit, I've got a dead leg, what, what happens now? And uh, you know, and I'm hobbling back. But then you're in, you're wrapped up in one of these games that, you know, the whole the whole thing changed on the goal again. And I'm thinking, I've got a dead leg. I'm going I'm to have to go. I'm going to go have to go. I'm going to get taken off. I'm panicking. But luckily, I think adrenaline got me through the game. But yeah, just uh, that the highlight of that whole day for me and the event leading up to it was probably, although, you know, the, the result against us was brilliant. That remembering that with all that bank of Wrexham fans behind the goal, um, in, in you know in the, in the colours, and you see in everything, it was fantastic. Yeah, that that was my biggest memory. I think. Obviously, finished two each, didn't it? And then in the, in the replay, we yeah, a dubious, dubious. Yeah, was it Machiavelli? I can't remember. Steve thought... Foster header at the far post. One to right. a corner came in and he scored. Yeah, big Steve Foster. Remember it? Yeah, and I think um, you know there was the potential sending off of. Was it Tim Breaker, I think, who yeah, brought yeah. Cal Connolly down and should have been sent off, in all honesty, but never did. And 
one of those things. But yeah, the, the, I mean that 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 whole cup run was fantastic, wasn't it? But um, well, we, we, say, we, we would have got our revenge against West Ham uh, a few years later. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, going, I mean, going, back, going back to that Man United Cup yeah. game, who were you yeah. up against in that one? Uh, Danny Wallace. All oh, right, yeah. yeah. Danny Wallace, yeah, Danny Wallace played there. Um, I mean, there's been lots of... I mean, I've got a bit of a history, I don't know whether you know this, when Eric Cantona got sent off for uh, Manchester United when he did the old Kung Fu kick over at Crystal Palace and he had his nine, ten-month ban. Well, I was playing at Rochdale at the time after Rex and and Sir Alex Ferguson, he was coming to the last month of his ban and and he wasn't... Cantona wasn't allowed to play any games before his nine months was up. So unbeknown to um, to ourselves, Alex Ferguson had rung the then manager said, can we have a behind close doors friendly at uh, Carrington, the training ground? So we went, it was all hush-hush, we weren't allowed to speak to anybody. And luckily I was the captain at the time and the whole Man United team played. You had your Schmeichels, you had your Pallisters, you had your everybody gigs. And I remember Cantona walking out literally five minutes before the game, collar up, walked onto the pitch, Played a game, I think they beat us three or four or one. So it was a brilliant experience playing against Man United. But then um, the next morning, I got a phone call from the Sun newspaper. Did you play against uh, Man United yesterday? We we know you did. So we were told not to say anything. Never played against Man United. Never played against Man United. Well, we've got pictures, we've got photos <laughs> that you played. And we so we all denied it. But to be fair and to the credit, Alex Ferguson sent us all some crates of wine. Um, to all the players to say thank you for, you know, not exposing the fact that Cantona was getting back up to full fitness. So that was, uh, yeah, just a little story from my career. Sorry. What was he like? What was he like? Did did you speak to Yeah, just, you know, where people talk about this aura and the whole Man United team at the time, but when you looked at him and you saw him walk on with his collar up and he looked about seven foot three, you know, and you think (laughs) this is is magnificent, you know. And, and, And as I say, for... Someone like myself, who's a bit, you know, a bit of a journeyman, and then and enjoyed it. These moments, they just, they suddenly you get flashes of them, you know, where it, you know you enjoy it. He seems like one of those players who just got so much time on the ball. Was it? Was it one of these players that you just come up against, even not fully fit, and he just like, yeah. oh yeah, you are class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, all these players that you play against in all the cup games and things that you've got to. You know, you've got to appreciate how good they are. You know, you. Um, I think I spoke to Tim earlier in the week about when you when you run into them. You know, they, they feel like brick walls. You know, they've got some of them can run faster with the ball than they can than you can without a ball. You know, and you think how how do I cope with this? But but you do, don't you? You know, games evolve and things happen in games. So just um, yeah, just 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 playing, but having a career, isn't it? It's having a career. You get paid for something you love doing, and that's what makes it special. You know. It's funny you mentioned the um, that what you said about West Ham because actually I did a, an interview with Wayne Phillips last year for our fanzine, and he yeah. said exactly the same. He said the West Ham game was more special for him because yeah. of that goal. Oh, obviously, yeah. he scored a goal as well, which is obviously That's special. Right, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, behind that rail, what those scenes he said were nothing he's ever sort of never felt a high like it, basically. Yeah, and it's funny. I think it came up. Something came up on Twitter the other week, didn't it? And and I'm I've only sort of just recently joined Twitter, but this thing, this girl came up for uh, Lee Jones's girl came up, and and there was all this. Oh, what a ball by Gareth Owen! And I just put, and I, I, I don't really comment. What about the five yard pass to uh, to Gareth Owen inside <laughs> my own box that nobody remembers? And um, 
and obviously Gareth came back I remember it and it's you know you you're part of little bits of memory that that, that mm. stick in sort of the Wrexham fans minds aren't you and it's uh, yeah it, so yeah I enjoyed it yeah great Andy can we go back to the architect of some of these um some of these great days now you yeah. you've already touched on the fact that you played with Brian Flynn before he became yeah. the manager did yeah. you know from from the dressing room that this guy this guy was a tactician. This guy could 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 be a manager. Did he always have that, that sort of that aura about him? And if he did, I were even you surprised how long he was at Wrexham and, and the legacy he sort of built? No, I don't think so. No, right, right from the start, he, he, ta- tactically and technically, he was very very good. Um, and you could see in nurturing. Obviously, then the the evolution became the the kids coming in. Um, and although I was still a young kid, I was a little bit more experienced than the ones coming through. And he was in, I think he was inspired by these young kids coming through and he knew that he had to, he had to get the best out of them. And what he did, he, he, sp- he, spoke, to, he spoke to us all individually, obviously managers do, but he made everybody, he made, you know, the lad who came and trained with the first team to the one who just got in the first team to the one who played 10 games or the 50 games. He made everybody feel the same, if you understand. And he made, he, he did make everybody feel just that little bit, probably better than what they were, which is the art of, you know, of a good coach. You know, you, you've got to get out of everybody the best that they've got. And I think Brian, to his credit, you know, he's always gone on and done fantastically well, hasn't he, in his coaching career and what he did for Wrexham and, and he's done for Wales. But I think he just... He, he was inspirational in that respect. You know, he didn't have to say a lot, but what he did say always tended to mean something, which is why I think all these young lads developed so very, very well. I was going to say about Flynn as well, you know, we're, we're uh, obviously um, at the moment, Phil Parkson, maybe he's coming under a little bit of pressure here at Wrexham. And I just think back to uh, those days with Flynn, you know, that season, obviously the Arsenal season uh, yeah. and those times where we were really struggling, really struggling yeah. in the league. Obviously he was blooding youngsters, but yeah. it does make you think that you can't really do that now. It's almost like there's just no time to, but you can't no. be, you, no one is afforded that much time to, to create a squad, are they? No. And I think, Obviously, now it's become a development type football, hasn't it? Whereby you, you know, you go and play for your under eighteen, you go play for your under twenty threes. Nowadays, or in them days, these lads were like seventeen, and they were coming into a first team environment, and it was like, there you go, you know. And you'd have everybody training together, and they were you, the physicality of it, you, you know, you were doing hard training, and you were playing against tough, hard men, and these lads, instead of Wilton, they flourished, and and to go on, to, we didn't have one or two. It was what twenty. I can name twenty now that came through, who all probably had brilliant careers for Wrexham and further afield, and they just um, all had something different about them, you know. So, and, I, and as I say, we could talk about all of them. Do you think it was a fluke that you managed to get that many through in one go, or or was there <clears> a plan? a plan behind it, which he was managing to work over a couple of seasons? I think, obviously, there was... You were coming to the back end of where kids used to play out, didn't they, and play football and going on the rec. We talked, you know, you can talk about this, and you have groups of kids playing football. And when natural talent, it wasn't manufactured then, you know, it was just like people had natural talent. So you had your, you know, your Cal Connollys coming in, you know, and I remember Cal's first game for the reserves on the turf. His family were starting the turf beer garden 
drunk as skunks. There must have been eight or ten of them. And Cal scored two goals. And I think on the Saturday, Cal Mollis made his first team debut, you know, after that. And these characters, and then you saw Steve Watkins, who acted like, he acted and played like a man at 17, you know. He was ready, he was ready physically to do that. And he just naturally evolved, you know. Um I think comparisons to what you've got at Wrexham now with those sort of players, you know, as I say, you had your Phil Hardy, your Jonathan Koshy, Gareth Owen, your Wayne Phillips, all brilliant players for the club, but you also had um, your Kevin Kevin Russells, who was the little bit of sparkle, wasn't he? Your Stardust and your Cal Connollys, they were the Stardust that made all these other players who, who were great footballers in their own right, but I think it just made them all better, you know, better players. Can I ask you about your role in the team? Because, yeah. so Flinny used to like to play this sort of, I don't really know how to describe it, like a lopsided 4-3-3. So he used yeah. to have, he used to have three centre midfielders. He used to have Carl on the left, and I'm not quite yeah. sure if he was a striker or a winger. And yeah. he always liked two front men. And that's fine for the left back, because you've got Carl yeah. who can help you out. You didn't yeah. really have anyone to help you out, did you? How how no. how difficult was that to sort of in that system where where the right back is always just a little bit exposed? Yeah, it, it was hard, but I think I think that's where Brian knew or Flynn knew my strengths in a way because I you know I was just I, I just worked hard, ran up and down, worked hard, so I probably covered as much if not more ground than most people in the game without if you understand, without influencing the game too much. So it was my job to get the ball, get it into people who, you know, had probably the more more ability, your midfielders, um, get it into your front men. And then I was always allowed to join in with Flynn. If Flynn didn't mind fullbacks going and joining in, as long as, obviously, on my side, I had to get back. You know, like you say, probably Phil Hardy had a little bit more cover on the other side. Um, but it's just, you know, I think... Um, I think, as I say, I'm you know I'm not doing myself a, a disservice. I played 450 odd league games and load, you know I won the conference with Halifax and I just um, I worked hard. I worked hard at everything I did and uh, and I think that's you know that's where I get my respect from other players. You know that and I speak to Wayne Phillips and Gareth Owen when you know sometimes on Twitter and why were you so fit? How were you so fit? But that's that's what I did. I just tried to make myself the best I could be to be in with these players, you know, with your, your footballers, really, you know. But then those five-yard passes enabled the 45-yard passes, so... There you go. Possible. I'm glad I'm glad you realised that, you see. <laughs> there you go. That's probably what I did. But, I, you know, I was a frustrated forward. I grew up playing centre-forward like mm. most kids, scored loads of goals. I went, I signed apprentice forms at Man City and uh, signed pro for Man City, thinking I was going to be a forward. And then you get there in the first game in the youth team, they tell you you're playing right back after playing all your youth football. And so I sort of could play anywhere. But as I say, it all harks back to that lack of pace. <laughs> yeah. Mate, the, the gap between uh, professional, not just footballers, but athletes and normal people never ceases to amaze me, right? Because I consider myself, I, in my head, am a good footballer. You know, right. I was a good footballer when I was younger. I, 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 you know, I trained a little bit in the Swansea Centre of Excellence, never got picked. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, we played seven-a-side football and the bloke uh, we played with was a, was a mate of ours from school. His name is Di Cornell. He was Swansea's third-choice goalkeeper. Yeah. And he was just so much better than us outfield. He never wanted to go in goals. <laughs> and he just scored goals from everywhere. And he's like, you're the third-choice keeper for, yeah. a champ, for a League One side at the time. Do you know what I mean? It was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, you're nothing but respect for 
professional footballers. And I reckon they're all probably frustrated centre forwards at heart or wingers. <laughs> I think so, yeah. And it's, it's it's interesting now, you know, I coach I coach the kids and now and again, I, I, you join in with my, my team are under 15s at the moment and you join in with them and they can all do these tricks and, you know, they can all do these, you know, around the world. And, and, and I'm like, got my head in my hands. It's like, when do you ever do that on a pitch? You know, yeah, and they've all, yeah. yeah, but I can do this. Well, when would you do that on a pitch? You know, I've never seen anybody do that on a pitch. Well, yeah. Did you ever, could you ever do this? Well, no, I never tried that because I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I, I would never want to do that. And any manager would tell you, don't ever do that again or you'll yeah. never play for me again. So, yeah, but uh, that's, that's FIFA, isn't it? And it's PlayStation. That's what's changed again at the moment. Uh, yeah. So before we um, address the Arsenal-sized elephant in the room, um, yeah. I'll, I'll pass over to Andy, who's got some quick-fire questions for you about your time at Wrexham. So okay. try not to think too hard about it uh, and see see what comes. But I'll let Andy to fire the questions at you. Oh, there's always a few in this that gets people going, ooh. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> anyway, let's start first. Who was the most skillful? Cal Conway. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Oh, my favourite yeah. ever Wrexham player. <laughs> and he's obsessed with Carl Conley. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the worst dressed? Don't say Carl Conley. Ooh. Mark Satori. Carl. Oh, yeah, I can get in on that as well. Who was the biggest moaner? Biggest moaner. Jeff Hunter and John Borden. I'll give you two right. names there. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with John Bowden. Fair play. He used to, yeah, but he didn't just know and he tutted as well. And it's awful oh. when you're training and someone tuts when you make a bad pass. <laughs> that's, that's not very nice. What an animal. Right, who's yeah. the most underrated? Underrated would say Phil Hardy. Ah, yeah. I, I'm also quite obsessed with Phil Hardy. So, not as much yeah. as Connolly. I know. I know he was brilliant. Phil Hardy was brilliant, and I know he was great. But I think just he just did so well for so long. Quite under the radar, I think he was the most underrated. Yeah. And finally, who is the tightest with money? Tightest? Oh dear. I mean, you're I'll the you what, lad. Yeah. No, I would. But I tell you what, at that time. <laughs> There was quite a lot of socialising went on around the town in my four years with that group of players. And what would they call it? <laughs> yeah. So you, you, well, you, when you got Graham Cooper, Nigel Foreman, all them sort of lads, Roger Priest, Darren Wright, they were always around town. So uh, I would say nobody. I ain't going to give you a tightest. So because uh, I think I think it might have been the opposite. I think they all enjoyed the time and probably spent all the wages around the around the town of Wrexham. So. Nobody too tight. Good philanthropists <laughs> there. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happy. I will tell you one story though. I don't know whether I've told anybody this one before, and it, whether it's come out before. But um, we were losing one game at home, two 0 and I remember Flinny coming in at halftime, and he was fuming, and he came in and we sat down, get yourselves a drink. So we all got ourselves a drink, and Flinny said, "What more do you effing want?" He says, "You've got an international midfielder, me." So you've got an international forward there, Kevin Reeves. You've got an international Joey Jones there, defender. We're all coaching you. What more do you effing want? And I was sat two down from Nigel Bowman. 
And Nigel Barman, under his breath, says, we could do with effing international rescue. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously, Flinny heard it. And Flinny flew across the dressing room. And now, Flinny and Nigel Bowman, it's a mismatch. And I, I remember Flinny <laughs> trying to trying to grab him under the under the neck. And uh, you don't know whether to laugh or cry <laughs> at that point. Because, but in that moment, with all the internationals in that room, and for him to come out with we could do with international rescue was uh, priceless. <laughs> priceless. But yeah. Um, yeah. But as I say, all them characters, you know, the things that, that people don't remember. You know, John Bowden, remember, he, uh, he used to go off the pitch now and again because his shoulder would pop out and he'd go in and you, you imagine it was like the old Top Gun thing where he, he ran against the, uh, the locker put his shoulder back in and then five, five minutes later it come back on and then he'd carry on playing and you were like, this is not right. You know, he just dislocated his shoulder but then he, I think he had an operation to put that right but I, it, I think it happened three or four times in the Wrexham game. So. <laughs> was Tilly like that then? Was he was he prone to a bit of the hairdryer treatment sometimes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flynn he was, yeah. He, uh, he had a temper, yeah, but, uh, and I think, uh, I think, I think you knew your place with him but like I say, in and amongst that, I think Kevin Reeves was a big calming influence on him, wasn't he? And obviously, when you had Joey around in the dressing room, it's Joey, Joey, into you know, he just wanted you to go out there and give everything you've got. Happy days. I think, yeah, Andy... brilliant. I bought my first yeah. house in Ponky at Wrexham, so I was 20 years old, bought a little house in Ponky. Um, didn't realize it was quite a Welsh speaking village, and nobody used to speak to me for the first few weeks when I came out because I didn't say good morning in Welsh. So, uh, but soon, soon got over that, and I think people people were all right about it afterwards. And none of them would have known your granddad was from Aberdeer either. So no, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. A lot. I don't. I don't know. With the Newport County thing, the Wrexham thing, I had talks with Terry Yorath at Swansea at time. I don't know. I just had this pull for Wales. So and then, and I'll be honest with you. You know, I sit there watching England because I'm English. I sit there watching England, but then I put the Welsh game on the other night. You know, and I feel as proud as they come when they you know when they're getting brilliant results like that and I think that's that's probably partly to do with the fact that the people at Wrexham are so passionate aren't they and were when when I was there but with a passion there's also a friendliness that um, I don't think comes out of a lot of places it seems to come out you know with the Wrexham people and um, and and they seem to support their own very very well don't they which is which is brilliant you know brilliant yeah so up to the the present day now you were, I think you were, you were here for the Dagenham game, weren't you? I think. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. What, what's, what's your take on, on the current team, the current management yeah. takeover? It's, it's all a bit crazy, isn't it? Well, I think takeover-wise, brilliant. I think everything, everything set up for you to be brilliant. Um, obviously, I've won the conference with Halifax, um, and I've, I've watched a lot of conference football. I think I've watched three of. Obviously, I've watched the TV games and I've watched some highlights on, on, on the YouTube and things of games. You're lacking pace. You, you need a wide man of either side or someone can play either side. You need a wide man. And I think you need a set system. Um, and the hardest part is to, I think you need a, a player in midfield who passes the ball forward quicker to Mullin and um, or whoever plays alongside Mullin. Um, I just think that you get a bit bogged down in midfield playing a bit too pretty and I think sometimes you've got the great you know probably the best striker you've had for a long long time in Paul Mullen there 
And the games I've seen him play, he plays from the corner of the box to the touchline too much and he doesn't play inside the box enough. Mm. And I think that comes down to your, one of your, your midfielders got to be looking to pass the ball forward a little bit quicker. And I don't think you have anybody like that. I think you've got to be one and two touches, even one touch just into your front men sometimes. Um, I think you've got a bit of a dilemma at the back. I think you've got three really good centre-backs. But from what I've seen also last year of, of uh, Hayden, I think he tries to nick the ball too much in front of people and it causes all sorts of problems for your defence. And I think he... I think he needs to be just a proper defender now. He's got all the physical attributes to be a proper defender and he shows glimpses in games. But I think in this league, good strikers, if you're trying to nick the ball in front all the time, you'll get found out because they'll know what they'll do. They'll either chop it off early and go or they'll draw the foul or they can get in behind you a little bit. And I think he's a great player. But I think he, I personally... I'm not telling Parky or both Parkies what to do. I just think there's a little bit, um, they've come down and they're expected to do certain things and I don't think them are the right things. I think they should be just defending as a four or a three and then you two wing backs. Um, and I think you need some natural pace. I think, I don't think you've got that in the squad, you know, rapid pace. And I think that's what the conference, every team I've watched in the conference for the last 10 years, they have some rapid pace somewhere. And I think you're lacking in that. I'm not going to ask you you think it's going to win on Tuesday then between Halifax and Wrexham. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tell you what, Halifax are on a roll, aren't they? They're on a roll. Um, I think, I'd like to think Wrexham will stay in the game. They obviously have a good following. Um, they're very, Halifax are buoyant at the moment. Waters is a good player up front, very good player. Um, but I think, I think it's going to be a good tight game. I think the pressure's off a little bit when you go away, isn't it? Obviously with the results that you've had away in the last few weeks. Um, I think the pressure's off the lads a little bit, but I think finding, um, I think finding a clear system. I mean, I, I, I listen to all the, or I follow all the threads on online on a Saturday night and Sunday. The Wrexham fans, and I think you're all getting a bit disillusioned, aren't you, about you know the system, what's Parky trying to do, what what's this, what's that. But looking at the league, you're only you know you're three points off that playoff place, aren't you? So it needs to be done quickly. I think he needs to find a system, um, but I don't know. You might tell me, but I think I think you need a game breaker in midfield. You know, I think you need someone who can surge past a couple of players in the middle of midfield, and and just just be dynamic a little bit more. I think it's all a bit easy ozy in midfield, and I think that's where in the conference games are won or lost in midfield. And I don't think you've Jordan Davis a great player, but how many times can you expect some? How many how many goals are scored from? 25 yards, not less than 1% in games. You can't, you know, you can't rely on someone smashing one in from 25, 30 yards every game. It's not going to happen, is it? So I think you need somebody who joins in with your front two and uh, and gets in and amongst them to make it a three in the box. But you've got to get balls in the box, haven't you? You know, you've got to get Jake Hyde fed, Ponte. You've got to get Paul Mullin fed, and they've got to be inside the box because that's what, and I go back to Kevin Russell, Paul Mullen is more like Kevin Russell and Kevin Russell is more like Paul, Paul Mullen than what you think, what you realise. But I think Paul Mullen, he's got all these finishes, but he tends to do so much work outside the box that it's wasted for me, you know. Are you sure Where, are you don't sure want to be a first-team coach? Are you sure? Uh, I, I love it. I, I watch all the football. I, I watch, you know, I watch more football than anybody and I love I love being around it, but I think sometimes it's horses for courses. You've got these great players. Toes is a good player, 
you know. But, you know, again, it's a long throw. Why are we all talking about his long throw? He's a centre-half, end of the day. He should be defending, shouldn't he? And you should come off the pitch and not notice Ben Toes as the best player on the pitch because that should be his job, you know. And, and, and that's the same with Hayden. And again, with full-backs, I think you need, if he's going to play three at the back, you need some rapid wing-backs, do you? You need, you need somebody. So that's what I think anyway. Hope, hope it. Hope it helps a few people and whoever's listening might think, you know, that's what that's what we do need. But uh, we'll see how for it goes. The, for the benefit of the listeners, when Andy said that we needed a midfielder who will go forward, we all raised our hands in a hallelujah-style celebration. So, yeah, I think some many of your thoughts are very much uh, reciprocated. So that's, right. uh, yeah, we, that's been a common gripe this season, hasn't it, about yeah. um, lack of midfield sort of drive. Yeah. I mean, how much is how much is the pressure of eight nine thousand fans at the home at the home matches? How much is that playing on the players? I, I don't know because a lot of these lads have probably never had that, have they? You know, um, and it's it's a big ask. You know, that it, it's it's about managing the games, then, isn't it? You know, I think I've, I've read a few threads from yesterday saying we were, you know, we're a bit over cautious and we didn't throw caution to the wind and we didn't go and press and we didn't go win the ball back high and this seems to be the overriding factor from the fans. There's a little bit of frustration there that we're not. We're not on the front foot as much as what you should be, you know. So I don't know. That's you know, that's you keeping eight and a half five thousand fans happy now. When I was there, it was like one and a half, two thousand, maybe three thousand, wasn't it? There's a difference. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope things uh, take a turn for the better soon. Uh, things have improved the last the last week or so, but uh, certainly need to start racking up some more wins. Yeah. Well, that's seven points out of nine, isn't it? That's the thing. So, you know, it doesn't matter how you get the points, you scrap. So you won't remember the draw home to Wheelston if then at the end of the season you're in the playoffs or you've gone straight up, will you? You'll, you'll forget about that draw. So um, stay positive, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of positivity around the place. And like my 19-year-old son said when we came across to the Dagenham game, Dad, this is weird seeing 75-year-old fellas with TikTok short shirts on his head. You know? <laughs> Everybody's... You know, he says everybody's got TikTok on their shirts, which is weird. It is weird, isn't it, when it's such a young phenomenon at the moment? But, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I wish, you know, I hope that the whole club goes from strength to strength. And however you get into them playoffs, however you get up out of this league, it's, you know. If you ever want a job as the official Wrexham AFC voice of reason, I'm pretty sure you have a strong position for it. To be honest. We need one. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. Thanks very much. Absolutely fascinating hour. Really enjoyed it. It's nice to get back into the well, what I'd say the older days. It's it's yeah. the stuff that we 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 don't know as much about. The likes of Dixie, the likes you know you you're mentioning people like Jeff Hunter, who I know yeah. through through seeing in books rather than actually seeing play. So it's nice to get into to what these people were were like, and it's good to to shine a light on that because as 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 what we're saying is we're going forward as a club but I don't think we should ever forget our history yeah and I think you know when I come across and I come, hopefully I can get across a bit more now because the children don't take as much time and they want to come and watch the games now so but when you come across and you see you know there's lots and lots of faces that you've seen from before and they're all so passionate about it and they all want to talk to you and they all want to, you know, send their your your their best wishes to you as well as you, you know, giving the best wishes to Wrexham. So, you know, good luck to everybody. Good luck to the whole town. Hope you all have a brilliant Christmas and New Year. I know it's a long way away, and let's hope uh, you know if we ever talk again in the next year, it's about because we're back in the league and uh, somewhere where you where you deserve. 
good luck to everybody. Yeah, it's yeah. been a pleasure speaking to you. Really, real pleasure. Thank you, and to you all. Thank you. Thanks again to Andy for his time. Clearly a, a real gentleman with a, a real soft spot for Wrexham. But it's time now for everyone's favourite segment. Apologies again that we've neglected it so much over the last few weeks, but we wanted to get this right. It's shitey heroes, of course, the worst Wrexham 11 of our lifetimes. Andy, remind us of the team, if you could, please. Uh, so the shite team is Zabi Valero. Um, Christian Guyan, we have a, a really dodgy centre-back partnership of Kempson and Hope. Mm-hmm. Left-back is my particular favourite, Tyler Garrett, Jarrett. I can't even remember his bloody name. He was that rubbish. A midfield is anchored by the anomaly that is Tom Taylor. We have Heidi Tabubi giving whatever he does in midfield. And the other one, oh, no... <laughs> I was going so well. The other one, give me a second, give me a second. He's, oh, it's my, oh, it's another one, Barton. Remember him. Mm. And, yeah, flying in up top, we have Maheta Malango. <laughs> Malongo, Malango. You say Malongo, I say Malango. Heady, Heidi, Tabubi, who knows? <laughs> he, right. he, even he doesn't know. So this this remarkable team, as you may have already guessed, is going for a 4-3-3 formation. Uh, I wonder how that would get on the how that team would get on the national league this year. Anyway, um, that midfield would dominate ours. <laughs> Whoa, that's okay. okay, right. Let's 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 uh, finish this team now. So we're going to pick two strikers. Any any takers to go first? Andy, your scriptwriters are back. So why don't you go? Uh, when you go first, my scriptwriters, i.e., me, whenever away. <laughs> go on. That shit-eating shit grin is back. You can just tell as fluid as possible. Okay, Andy, when you're ready, three, two, one, go. I was so excited when we signed Ian Rush, like stupidly happy. I went round everyone I knew telling them, even if they weren't a Wrexham fan. I went to the first match. We won against Re- Reading. He didn't score. It was all good. Five games in, nothing. I told myself, he's making runs that are too good for our midfielders. He's on a different level. 15 matches in, he still hadn't scored. Yeah, he was on a different level, just not the one we thought he would be. Everyone And then everyone's asking me, how's Ian Rush doing? And I'm telling them, well, he's now playing midfield. So, you know, we've got a fellow who scored 254 goals in his career. He's now a 37-year-old midfielder. How many goals did he get for Wrexham? None. Nada. A big fat zero. The most Wrexham-y thing ever. However, as a postscript, he worked very hard with the likes of Morel in the background and he really helped Mozart. On August the 8th, 2004, he took the Chester job. R.I.P. Ian Rush. Cheers for the shite memories. Wow, such vitriol. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ian Rush is not dead for the record, but yeah. <laughs> Once he took that Chester job, he died. <laughs> Long live the King Singers. Right. Anyway, um, who wants to go next? Are we doing two each or just one each? Well, should we do? Should we pick the first one? Then we'll move on to the second one. So let's keep the pace up. Tim, you go next. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one, go. This might be slightly harsh, but I've gone for Jordan White because ultimately. He had 39 goals in 77 appearances for Sterling Albion and carried on, on that form with Livingston. He signed for us under Gary Mills in May 2016. However, he was hospitalised in pre-season with a life-threatening blood infection. With, I think he left him paralysed at times. That caused him to miss the first four months of the season. However, he finished top scorer with seven, but his contract was not renewed for whatever reason. 
then, he then went back to Scotland via Barrow. He was Inverness, Caledonian Thistle's top scorer. Ended up going on to Motherwell before landing at Ross County. So I think, realistically, he could have been a bit of a hero. Was he shy by virtue of being hit with that really, really bad um, debilitating injury? Potentially, yes. I just felt, well, why not? He could he come with, with a bit of a bit of a, you know pedigree, and it just didn't happen for him for whatever reason. Nicely done. Um, I'll go next, then Liam. You can go last. Um, I uh, much mine will be shorter because uh, I'm kind of winging it. I'm going to nominate uh, Isaiah McLeod. However. Have you pronounced Isaiah? Um, signed by Dean Keats in January 2017. Loads of Football League pedigree. Obviously, we were struggling at the time. But I'd like to quote from a Daily Post headline on the day he signed. I'll score the goals to fire Wrexham AFC to safety. He scored one wonder goal versus North Ferriby United on his debut. And then nothing. You can't say he didn't work hard and that he wasn't a good player. But, you know... I think we were all pretty hopeful when he signed that he'd be able to score some goals. He had a very good pedigree, but he scored one goal in 15. So my nomination is Mr. McLeod. Okay, Liam, last up. Ready? Three, two, one, go. So the striker I've gone for came in loan from Rochdale at a time when we needed a decent striker to help our promotion push in February 2013. But what did we get instead? We got Bambadeli Olisgun Adabola, or Deli Adabola to you and me. He was your typical Andy Morrell signing, a 37-year-old experienced pro who'd been there and done it, but didn't really quite have the quality that we needed. Wrexham were top of the table at the time of his signing, but ultimately finished in fifth. That wasn't solely down to Adebola. He only scored twice in 13 appearances. I'm convinced that that one that everyone says was a brilliant goal was a complete shank and he didn't mean it. Um, He didn't really have the firepower we needed. And while Newport were able to bring in Christian Jolly, who'd go on to help his side break our hearts at Wembley, Adebola only made a brief cameo in the playoff final as an 88-minute sub. A lacklustre signing who never really packed a punch. Also, Dele Adebola to, to, to me and you and everyone else, although Marza called him Dele, didn't he? So that, that uh, so I don't know whether we're pronouncing it right, um, but Dele, Dele. I don't think anyone cares. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, okay, fine, thanks. I mean, I'm not having Ian Rush. I, I initially thought, yeah, I mean, Ian Rush, his record, record was woeful. The closest he came, he hit the bar, and I think he might have scored in, in their reserves. But I think um, his runs are probably too challenging for the rest of that team, looking back. Um, so I'm not sure on that one. Dele Adbola, he was rubbish. Didn't he score a pearl at Gateshead away? Wasn't shanked, it? It, shanked it. It wasn't. It wasn't. No, it, yes, it was. It was about forty yarder, wasn't it? Well, the <laughs> keep, no keeper was out, wasn't he? The keeper was off his line, and he and he got it in in the way match. Cost three yeah. points. Can't He's argue got some that. Dele Adbola, when he put on um, Twitter that contrary to popular opinion, I don't have a bowler. Yeah, <laughs> was that a real account? Was that a real account? It was. He is responsible for one of the best tweets of all time. So surely that's going to stand in his in his favour. I'm, I'm going to. Rule I'm my, not. I'm going to rule myself out because I think I'm being harsh on Jordan. You are being harsh. It's it's not his fault. He got that disease. I'm. You can't. You can't put Jordan White in this. He would have been decent for us. Um, all right. I, I see where you're coming from with Rush. Rush was a big disappointment, but so was Deli Adebola. And we really needed Deli Adebola to be good at that time. And he wasn't. And the rest of the season and the team suffered. So my vote is for him. I think that's harsh on Adebola, you know. I, I do. I'm not convinced. I, can remember. Off- I, I, I can't remember nothing about McLeod. I remember he played for MK Dons and then he came to us and he was crap. Yeah. yeah. 
I suppose I suppose you could say that Adebola was in a better, much better side than McLeod, so he's got less of an excuse. I can remember fair. a dreadful performance from him. I think it was at Hyde after we'd won the trophy and we ended up losing to, to Hyde with Hunt missing a penalty, ironically. And that's just always seared in my mind. The only the other thing about Adebola is Morel put all his eggs in that Adebola, hasn't got a bowler basket, and it didn't pay off. Now, that's fair enough, but... When you really needed, when you really needed some some pace in that forward line, you had thirty-seven-year-old Morel, thirty-eight-year-old Omarod, and thirty-six-year-old Adebola. Now, it may not be his fault per se, but he just wasn't what we needed at that time, and we really needed someone to open up the likes of Newport in that playoff final. So that's why I'm going for him. Sounds like we're edging towards Adebola. Tim, any any complaints on that one? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of wish I'd gone for John Newby now. Um, <laughs> Too late. You can't do that. It's out of order. Yeah, okay. Give it, to, give it to Dealey. I remember him being at Crew. I thought he was cracking at Crew. Yeah. And we get him like, you know, when he's like well past his best. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. Well. You're not the only rule is you're not allowed to tweet it because he's on Twitter and he might get really offended. And... Do, we, do we ever win him on the podcast? I'm not asked, so let's let's do it. Oh, I already had a bowler. So as, long, I think, as long as it's on the that record be, that I that, that I it. think that I think he was a great player and a good guy. Okay, okay, <laughs> Dilian Abola, you're you're leading the line for us. Let's go around the same order again for our final nominations for Shite Heroes. Andy, you can go first. Three, two, one, go. There's oh, sorry. There's no more Wrexham signing than Cole Stockton. What a cool name! Like a washed-up country singer, a gunslinger, or a pirate. He was a hulking brute. He seemed to be... Well, he seemed to answer a lot of the questions we had, especially because we were in a state of flux at that time with managers, again. But the big fella never looked fit. Scored one goal in eight matches, went back to Tranmere like it never happened. We all knew there was a player there, but hell, we're in the phase of cutting your losses and moving on to the next Sam Ange. So, what was cast iron bound to happen? He found form, he found, t- t- he found fitness in the team that played him and he's now unstoppable. He's on fire for Morecambe in League One. Yesterday he scored from his own half. He couldn't even kick it that far when he was with us. Like so many before, John Walters, Dan Holman, Scott Bowden, it proves, it proves one thing. Wrexham AFC is the graveyard of strikers. Get out while you can now, Mullin. Can we talk about Sam Ange? <laughs> Oh, dear, dear. Okay, Sam Age. Oh, what is his bloody name then? Sam Ainge. Simon Age. <laughs> oh, Sam Ainge. <laughs> we might as well sign Sam Ainge. <laughs> no, fair enough. It was well. It was. Oh. It was very well argued. Um, the scriptwriters are back with the vengeance. Tim, you can go next. I got. I need a minute to compose myself. Fucking <laughs> go. I've lost it. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Oh right, when you're ready, three, two, one, go. Jonathan Walters. He'd already had seven clubs before he even arrived at Wrexham in 2005. He made 41 appearances for the Reds. He only scored five times. He got nine in 26 for that lot down the road before a three year spell at Ipswich Town. They paid Chester 100 grand for him. He then has seven years at Stoke, who paid 2.75 million for him. Not to mention he has 54 Republic of Ireland caps. Ends up at Burnley, he paid three, £3 million pound for him. So he's obviously done something right in his career to get to where he's got to, but he was not very good for us. And by all accounts, this is an unsubstantiated rumour, um, when Dennis Smith kept on ringing him up about certain things, he refused to answer his phone. 
Um, I don't know what that was about. So it might be mitigating circumstances. But John Walters had a really, really good career. It burst from nowhere. And he just didn't really do much for us, to be honest. Just a bit of a lump. I'm next. Uh, three, two, one, go. I'd like to thank uh, loyal, fearless, and devotion listener Jonah David for this one, uh, for agreeing. Mark Beck, uh, great goal scoring record, um, but he was really quite awful for us. And he's just one of those players, there seem to be loads of them, who just always seems to score against us. Um, he's on loan, I saw at the moment, with York from Harrogate. But just, you know, one of these players who just was rubbish for us and yet is playing in League 2 with a team like Harrogate just annoys me so um, Mark Beck that's my nomination uh, Liam you can go last uh, 3, 2, 1 go Okay so the striker I'm going for this time is Mr Sam Ange oh sorry Simon Ange um, it's early in 2018 and once again Wrexham are in need of some firepower in attack So we get a man who scored 33 goals in the uh, calendar year 2017 for Harrogate, Simon Ainge. He'd been converted from a centre-back to a striker and done really well in the league below, but safe to say he looked like what he was when he played for Wrexham, which is a centre-back converted to a striker. He didn't score any goals, made 10 appearances, and then Andy Gilpin got his name wrong on this podcast. So for all those reasons and more, I'm going for Sam Simon Ainge. There we have it. I, I got Sam and Simon mixed up. I mean, Christ. Is that <laughs> yeah, but no, you said Ange. It was the Ange that did it. Episode 80, we're going to be able to do a worst named, wrongly named best 11 courtesy of Gilpin. So we've got... <laughs> Dion Argus and <laughs> Sam Ange. Leading the so, so hang on, in 40, I've only done it twice. <laughs> I, I, I'm confident there's more if I poured through the other <laughs> times. Uh, anyway, um, okay, we've got, so we've got Simon Ainge, we've got uh, Walters, we've got Beck, and Andy, remind us of yours. He's about to do it. Stockton. It's not Stockton. Out of those four, it's not Stockton. Let's let's rule him out. I mean, he was just unlucky. Uh, My mate, Simon, he's awful. He was awful. (laughs) He's now Um, playing for Yorkshire, York Amateurs, apparently. uh, So my vote would go for him just because he was a lumbering... uh, And also, again, we just needed someone who knew where the back of the net was. We thought this guy could be it, but then you could see 10 minutes after him coming on that it wasn't going to be him. And we were we were stuck with him, so that's my vote. Walters, I mean, yeah, he was poor for us, but he was he was youngish, wasn't he? At that time, you know, I know. Mm. Mark Beck was pretty crap. I know he went on to do well for Harrogate, but I think people that's called why it's him, annoying. It, people called him the tree, and he was he did just <laughs> like that. There was no sign that he was going to go on to to do what he did. Okay, so we're, we're cutting out uh, Stockton, so we need one of us to budge. I mean, we're, we're, there's, there's going to be loads, and there's going to be absolutely shitloads of, um, of uh, other ones that'll come after this goes out where people Yeah, there's too many. We, 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 you know, there's too many to go through. Andy, um, so you're going, just to clarify, you're going for Simon Ainge, yeah? Guessing that's a yes. <laughs> and a nod and a thumbs up from Andy. <laughs> Sorry, he's a new. I keep forgetting you're a newspaper magnate who's got about five screens on the go at, at, at a single time. Um, Can't even Danis with a reply. 
<laughs> okay, we'll tell you what then. I'm going to throw my weight behind Ainge as well. He was crap. Uh, and, and if he's playing for York Amateurs, well, at least Beck, I suppose, is playing for York uh, in the Conference North, so he must be better. So, Simon Ainge, congratulations. You are part of our front three for Shite Heroes, and that's the team complete. Why? You absolute Samange. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, prediction times. Andy, have you finally got your scores on the doors ready? Yeah, as long as no one goes back through the podcast and actually uh, totters them up, um, I have, yeah. So, Liam, you've got 15. Tim, you're in the lead with 19. I'm last with 11. And Reese, you're in the middle again with 15. Take that. Okay, good. Uh, Andy, do you want to take us through the games and ask around? Okay, so we've got Halifax on Tuesday and we have the mighty Bromley, the Bromley boys on Saturday. Reese, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, Halifax, tough ask. I think we'll get a draw. So I'm going to go for a two-all draw up in Yorkshire and then down in Bromley. Sorry, I don't know why I'm doing these accents. Really go, that really was not a Bromley accent either, sorry. Uh, I don't remember. Bromley, we're going to kickstart our season with a, a strong home win, 2-0 in, in front of a not-quite-full race course. You idiot. Uh, Tim, do you want to go next? <laughs> yeah, I'll go for a one-all draw at Halifax, and I'll go for, I mean, well, yeah, it's going to be 1-0 against Bromley alone because they don't score more than one goal. So, um, yeah, a one-all one and a 1-0. Cool. Liam? Uh, I'm going to be the the negative one then. I never quite fancy us at Halifax. They're doing pretty well. So I'm going to go for 2-1 Halifax. And then the best I can say that we'll do against Bromley at home is 1-0 draw. Wow, that is negative. Right. Um, I'm going to go for us to win away at Halifax because I think if we can get a goal from somewhere, they'll have to attack us and we can actually go at them. So I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. Yeah. I know, I know. But I don't think we'll beat Bromley. I think I think it will be one of those games where we're in the lead up until the last 10 minutes and they'll peg us back. And I think that will be one each. Proper mixed bag this week. We'll bring you uh, the results of those uh, predictions, obviously, on next week's podcast. Thank you once again for listening. You guys know what the email is by now and you can contact on the Twitter page as well. Feel us in devotion. But until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. Cheers, Cheers. everyone. See you.